Well, we're part of a series of looking at marriage and God's design for marriage. And last week, Dennis spoke on the covenant of marriage. And if you didn't get to hear that message, please listen to the podcast. It's very dynamic, it's brilliant, it's very powerful, and it is a must. You really should. Today we're looking at the commitment of marriage, and that is a bit of an ouch word for a lot of people, making that commitment. But we're going to look and see what God's design is in marriage and commitment. And then next week, it's going to be communion, which is just beautiful, the communion of marriage. So do stay with us for the series. And it's just to hear what God's saying about marriage, which is such an exciting, beautiful picture of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit marriage. Maybe you're thinking, I'm not married yet, or I was married, and it wasn't such a good experience for me. Or maybe you're thinking, I'm hoping to be married, but sometimes I wonder if I ever will get married. <laughs> well, just stay with us, because we're not just talking about marriage. We're talking about God working in us and our dealings through marriage, but also in a broader context. And maybe he wants to use you to counsel somebody who's in marriage and having a problem. So this is for you, definitely. It's for now. Well, I love the fact that it's not only just Women's Day last Wednesday and that I am giving the women's perspective in, in this series, but also I love it that it's now because this is the beginning of spring, which is just such a favorite time of year. It's a glorious time of year, of new beginnings. And sometimes we look at those dead, dry tree trunks. We look at the bushes that are all withered. We look at the hardness of the ground, and it's just so completely barren and ungiving, and we think there can never be any life in that. But in its season, what happens? It's amazing. God just pushes new life through, and it's irrepressible. It's unstoppable. And maybe you feeling that your marriage is that dead. Maybe it's hopeless. Maybe there's no life in it. Maybe there never was really the life that you'd hoped. God has got such a fresh new message of hope because that is who he is. And as we open ourselves to him working in us and through us and line up with what he says in his words, we will start to see new life pushing through in the most incredible way and it will not be stopped. After the first service, people came up to me and said that's exactly what had happened in their lives, that they had been obedient, they'd prayed, they'd waited, they had done what God had called them to do, and they have seen results. So isn't that amazing? Yeah. It's the truth. It really happens. I want to ask you a question. How long has it been since you read the Song of Songs? in this Bible. It's not a book that's often preached because it's a book that is sizzling with passion and love in the Bible. <laughs> but I love it because it is the Word of God and it gives us an exquisite picture, not just of the shepherd king and his beloved, his bride, but it's also a type, a big picture of our heavenly bridegroom and his love, his tenderness, his intimacy, with us, his bride, the believers. It's a beautiful picture. So let's look at Song of Songs, chapter 2, from verse 10. Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. And I sense that he's saying, you might be sitting there and you're feeling as if you're in the pits. He's saying to you, arise, 
come with me. I see you as beautiful. I see you as appealing. No matter what people have said or that other person in your life has said, come with me. I'm calling you with an urgency and with an intimacy. See, the winter is past. The rains are over and gone. Flowers appear on the earth. The season of singing has come. The cooing of doves is heard in our land. The fig tree forms its early fruit. The blossoming vines spread their fragrance. Again, he says, arise, come, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. And verse 16, my beloved is mine, and I am his. I think that's just so powerful because it speaks of tenderness, of intimacy, of the lovers who are also friends. They're very comfortable with each other. They're very at one with each other. They belong. And if you go right back to Genesis, which Dennis shared on last week, the covenant, if you go back to these early chapters when God made the world, he made the stars, the space, he created the earth, the seas, the mountains, everything that he did was good. He made man, it was good. But there was one thing that was not good. It was not good for man to be alone. So an extraordinary thing happened. He made woman, but not out of the dust like he could have done when he made man. He made woman out of man himself, bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh, in this most extraordinary creation, woman. Symbolically, mystically, a union of the two becoming one. And here we see God's design for marriage is to show this perfect oneness the character, the nature of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, who are three in one. He is infusing that into man and woman becoming one. It's beautiful. And this theme of marriage, not just in the first chapters of Genesis, but it goes right through the Bible. It's a very strong theme, God's intended marriage, through the Song of Solomon, but also right to the last pages, to the book of Revelation, when we are invited to the marriage feast, which is a wedding celebration, none other. And remember the first miracle of Jesus? The wedding at Cana, that wasn't an accident. There's another wedding where Jesus turned the water into wine. He changed what was ordinary, practical, but mundane, into something exquisite, exotic, a luxury, the best of wine. Do you get a sense that as we open ourselves to him, as we allow him to quicken us deep down, this is his plan, this is his design, making something new, making something beautiful, making something lasting that shows who he is and his love for us. It's not just the nature of God, this oneness, but it's also the sacrificial giving of God. Because, as Dennis shared last week, in that garden where man and woman walked with God in intimacy, in transparency, they were vulnerable, it was beautiful. There were fragrances, it was the, garden, the beautiful garden. Then came the lie of Satan, remember? And everything was broken. Everything was fractured and shattered. The relationship of God with man and woman, broken the trust, the relationship with man and woman, bad news. 
when Adam first saw Eve, he was astounded. And if you look at the Hebrew of this, it's just reporting. In the beginning, God created all of this. But suddenly, when it gets to Adam seeing Eve for the first time, he bursts into poetry. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. You can almost hear the orchestras playing. It was astounding. But then what happened after the fall? God said, where have you been? He said, we're hiding. And they had these shabby little fig leaves they were trying to cover up. I mean, really, who could cover up from God? And then he said, well, um, this woman that you put here, she gave me and I ate it. I mean, and ever since then, we have had issues. (laughs) But can you see that's not God's original design at all? Not at all. So today... We are going to be looking at marriage, God's design, and what place commitment comes in. And as I said, it is an ouch issue because a lot of people do anything, but they don't want to commit. And we know that centuries and centuries past, God sent the prophets, he sent wise men, he sent the judges, calling him back, just as I read out. Arise, come with me, come back to me, be one with me, have intimacy, fellowship with me. But over the centuries, man just said, mm-mm. And eventually God sent his son. And as we celebrated communion, this is the essence of what we believe. That God, who was so full of love, poured himself into our filthy world. And Jesus left glory And he took on the form of a servant right to death on a cross. And it was not just a death on a cross, but it was the death that would take on him everything that separated us from God. Remember I said those shabby little fig leaves? But did you ever realize that in Genesis 3.21, the first sacrifice was actually God had to kill an animal because he made a skin covering for them when they left the garden. They would need protection. God covered them with skins. Can you see from the very first split second, God had a rescue mission in mind. And what happened on the cross was the greatest act of love that the world had ever seen. Now, if we can understand that, kind of sacrificial loving, giving in front of a crowd that was jeering, that was betraying him, that was ridiculing him. If we can start understanding that, then you can start to understand why God takes commitment so seriously. It's not just a frivolous vow in a beautiful church with your white dress and all the flower girls. It is actually a serious commitment, not only before God, but to each other and publicly, that what you're doing is going to be irrevocable. It is going to be permanent. It is precious. It is sacred. It is God-breathed. We were made for marriage, and marriage was made for us. And the way that it works is through this commitment. And as I said, it's not just for convenience, And it's not just for culture, but it's a man publicly putting his past behind him 
and making a commitment to his wife. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We'll be looking a lot at this this morning. Ephesians chapter 5, and let's look at verses 31 and 32. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Amazing words, actually, because what Paul was saying here is that a man will leave and cleave, some versions say. And what's interesting, that word cleave actually means glued together. <laughs> My goodness, that's there for life, glued. And when you think about it, it's this publicly saying, I am leaving my parents, which it would have been in the old days, but he, really his past, all those things that were important, and he's making a public commitment to his bride, to his wife, that he's promising himself to her for his entire life, whatever the future holds. Man and woman are joined together, but in this union, this mystical union, which is now through commitment publicly, they're taking responsibility for each other's welfare. He looks after her, and she looks after him. And you love that mate above all others. That's what it means. It's intimacy, it's commitment, it's a sexual union. As he said, the two will become one flesh, and that is reserved for marriage. That is God's perfect, pure plan. So it is sacred, it is precious, it is irrevocably a commitment. It is the renouncing of the old life, but you also, in a way, are renouncing your importance in your life because you're putting the other one first. So it's pretty well a difficult thing to do, and no wonder people try and veer around it, but essentially it's this. The roles in marriage are different, what he gives to her, what she gives to him, but the goal is exactly the same. So different roles, but the same goals. And that is honoring God together and honoring each other. That is how a true marriage works. The sad thing is that in many instances, the one partner is doing that with all or his, her, her heart, but the other guy, the other one doesn't then what do you do? Just stay with me, because if you keep your side, you will start to see an amazing change in the other one. You really will. And I had people after the first service, I told you. So basically what you're saying is this. Do you take this man to be your lawful wedded or your, this woman? What you're saying is, I do. But what you're really saying is, I do even if you don't. You're saying, my promises don't depend on your actions. I will, even if you won't. And if you keep that up, empowered by the Holy Spirit, in a close intimacy with Jesus Christ, you will start to see a change because the other one will not understand how you can be like that. It will bug them, but you will just keep loving, keep forgiving, keep giving. 
Now, I have found a lot of help from this little booklet, The Meaning of Marriage. It's been stuck in the bookshop here. You can see I really get into it. I underline, I scribble. I'm on the tubes and on the trains, and people wonder what is so exciting about the meaning of marriage. But it is. <laughs> you can't put it down. Well, we found out that after the first service, the book sold out. But don't worry, because just give your name, and they will contact you and let you come back. I'm going to go through a couple of the things that Timothy Keller touches on, because these are really very useful when you may be talking to somebody about marriage in the world today. People will say, marriage is just a piece of paper. Have you heard that? We have such a great relationship. It's so exciting. It's very hot. Why would we ruin it all with a piece of paper or a marriage? Basically, what the person's saying is, I really enjoy the romantic stimulation that I'm getting from you, but I don't feel I can commit myself, and I really don't want to close off all my options just yet, especially because I don't know what the future holds. I don't know what lies down the road, and I like to just sort of be um, available. But what God's saying is he's calling us to a sacrificial commitment it's for the good of the other, remember. It's not about our emotional desires. It is not primarily, what do I want to get out of you? Because you make me feel good. It's not. It's about how much of myself am I willing to give to the other one all of my life, even when I don't know what lies ahead, because I want to see them grow and be fulfilled and all that God wants them to be. That's the sacrificial marriage. Remember I said it's a perfect picture. It demonstrates God, the oneness of the Trinity, but it also shows the sacrificial, unconditional love that he has for us, that Jesus came all the way to death, that he rose from the dead to show us that love. That's what the commitment means. So, instead of just saying, wow, I like the way you look, or I think he's got, you know, he's okay. Basically, what you're saying is, how much am I willing to lose for the sake of this person? How much am I willing to commit, maybe sacrifice some of my freedom to make this person feel good and grow? How much of my precious time, my energies, my resources, Am I going to invest in his life or her life that they will grow and flourish? That's what it's about. And we don't know what the future holds, do we? I mean, sometimes there's an illness. Sometimes there's a debilitating experience. Maybe the old wounds from the past resurface. Maybe there's a bit of infidelity or suspicion that you don't understand. Maybe, you, like we heard earlier, you lose a job or you move to a different country, you don't know how things are going to change. But the commitment you make is, regardless of that, I do, even if you don't. I will, even if you won't. And we stick at that, and truly, with the help of the Lord, we will see the dead start to become alive and well, because that is God's plan in everything. Now, sometimes... I've counseled couples where they are married, but it's a really hard marriage where there's so much criticism that the person feels crushed 
or the person's personality is just sort of flattened because the other one's just dominated. What I want to encourage you is live the love of the Lord in your marriage, but please keep that connection with Jesus Christ strong and vital and essential because that is your lifeline. It really is. And you need to be with believers. You need to be with people who can feed you. You need to get into the word. There's an amazing film called The War Room. If you're really doing battle, get that. You can order it cheaply on Amazon. Get all the tools you can to tackle it. But keep your intimacy and fellowship with Jesus Christ strong. You will start to see a change. Another thing that Tim Keller mentions, he says that marriage is a bit obsolete. It's, um, you know, this old traditional kind. Who really follows that anymore? Does it really work? Well, he said marriage works. There's nothing wrong with marriage. We were made for marriage, and marriage was made for us, remember? But what doesn't work is that we are flawed, and we don't realize it. Sometimes we come into marriage, and we have such great expectations that they are completely unrealistic. I'm going to just give you a few little examples. Maybe you're the kind who said, well, I would like somebody where I won't really have to do a lot of maintenance. You know, you're not going to really have to be looked after terribly much. Meet all my needs, but not really make a lot of demands. We'll always be stimulating, very attractive, be very proud to be out and about with, um, very exciting in special places, who will accept me exactly the way I am. But who's always giving and never really makes big demands on me. That's really what I want. I want somebody who can give everything, but he really doesn't want to take very much back. That's what I expect. That's the kind of person that I'm looking for. And I think sometimes you have this picture that it's a lingerie model who's a nuclear physicist who can <laughs> bake like Mary Berry, but who looks sort of 60 years younger. You know, but. You have this amazing dream of what he should be or what she should <laughs> It's true. But when the crunch comes, that's not reality, is it? So you, you're sort of dissatisfied because of who you've got. Many marry for the wrong reasons. I've met people who say, well, I'm going to marry him because I know that I'll be fulfilled when I married him. Or she is going to make my life complete. But you will never find fulfillment in any person or anything, a bigger car, a better job, fitness, a huge house, it's not in those things. It's only in that relationship that I said in G with Jesus Christ. Truly, when you tap into knowing him more and you allow yourself to be open to the Holy Spirit moving in you, how amazing to be able to speak God's word how amazing to have discernment and insight that you can see what he's saying in a situation, that you can prophesy, that you can pray for healing. I mean, it is the most exciting life. You wouldn't want to settle just on stuff that, has an, that have an emptiness around them. Sometimes people get married because they're looking for the perfect mate. And I have news for you. That perfect mate is looking for a perfect mate. <laughs> None of us is perfect. Once they see the flaws, things start to fall apart at the seams. So Tim Keller is saying, 
The reason for marriage failing is you have the wrong expectations sometimes. Just going back to verse 32, it says, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. This was amazing for Paul to write this in the first century because women then were really treated like property. You know, they didn't have right, there was definitely no Women's Day, international or not, in those days. The women really had no rights. But here he's saying to husbands, you need to be like Christ in the church. He gave himself. He gave himself fully and completely because he wanted to see her become beautiful and whole and healed and free. That is the kind of love. And this word in Greek, the profound mystery, it's a beautiful word, mysterion it is. And it actually means secret. And the words here is mega mysterion. It's a profound mystery. It's a big secret because most people don't really understand this. It's extraordinary, but when it clicks and you do, it is something that's going to free your marriages because you are going to start living and loving and you make a decision to do that. It's not a fuzzy feeling. You make a decision to love as God loves you, to give as he gives. And it's sacrificial, it's unconditional, and it works. It really works. So that is it. I met a dear old soul the other day. He said, I've been married 50 years and you're right, it is a profound mystery. I still don't know what makes the old girl tick. But <laughs> that's not really what he's talking about. It is an incredible mystery. Christ in us, that's the hope of glory. Let's just quickly look at Ephesians 5:18 to 21, a little bit before. It says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Excuse me. And I just love this because he said, make music in your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Getting back to Paul, he says, don't be drunk with wine. And the way I see this in the context of marriage is so many of us have our secret little escape hatches, don't we? Maybe it is wine or, or something like comfort eating. Um, you think, but you know, you haven't met my husband or you don't have to live with my wife. You don't know what drives me to this. We do have our secret little addictions many times. Maybe it's a spiral of, of self-pity that just goes downwards and really is so destructive. I know somebody who watches old movies for hours and hours because she just loves to feel good and, and that's her escape. So we have different things. But basically what Paul's saying, you don't need to go that route because be filled with the Spirit. <laughs> as I said before, as you open yourself to the Holy Spirit moving in, He comes and He empowers. You cannot do it in your own strength. You cannot but as he empowers us, then we can get marriage to work. And there's this lovely theme again, singing. Sing. Sing when the night is dark. Sing when the times are hard. Even if he, the partner, or she, the partner, or the spouse doesn't, you do. Sing 
Make music in your heart to the Lord. Trust him. And what does it say? Give thanks for everything. It's a choice, but it works. Because as you are released and as you are free and as you are operating in the spirit, that spouse of yours won't really understand what's hit them. Why aren't you angry? Why aren't you mad at me? Why? You used to be. No, I'm not anymore. I will, even if you weren't. I do, even if you don't. What I do need to touch on now is like a hot button. 1 Corinthians, verse 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 4 to 8. Let's just have a look there. It is a famous passage on love, 1 Corinthians 13. And what it says here is, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. That often happens in the marriage. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. What I've counseled people to do is what I have done myself in my life. When I have felt particularly unlovely or unloved, or someone else in my life is particularly <laughs> unlovely, I think, Lord, I need your love so much. And I believe you can do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I pray this is a prayer, and I put my name there. Wendy is patient. Wendy is kind. So you pray that, and you put your name. Bob keeps no record of wrongs. Bob does not delight in evil. Susie is not self-seeking. Whatever it is, I urge you, pray your name in there to help you see how to be. Another exercise is to put your spouse's name there. Pray his name or her name there that she will be patient, kind, that he will always rejoice in the truth. You will start to see God moving in a special way. And then a few of us in the church actually committed a while ago to just living out one of these every day. Today, we will be patient. And no matter what happens, we will be patient. And as the day went, <laughs> sometimes you think, ooh, it's not easy, but we were. And we were all in it together, so it was very exciting. Another day, the next day, we will just practice kindness. Because sometimes love dries up. You don't feel love. In fact, you feel the opposite. And how do you cope? If you go back to the commitment that I spoke about, you make a decision to do little acts of love. And as you live love, and as you do love, you will start to see a change in yourself first, but also in your mate. It's an extraordinary thing. I often say learn the love language of your mate because some of us really respond to words. We love to be told, I love you, or you look good today, or that. Others really respond to gifts, a little gift here or there, not extravagant, but just a little thing to know you're thinking of them. Maybe it's touch. You really know that she loves a little stroke or kiss in her neck or whatever. Do little acts of love 
even if you don't feel it, because that is what starts initiating love moving. It is a decision to love. It's beautiful to see that God can start moving in amazing ways if you put your name, if you put his or her name, and if you start living out these, you will be living this unconditional love that makes such a difference. Forgiveness is another huge part of marriage. Many people that I speak to are walking around with such a bitterness, such an anger, because they have been betrayed, they have been misled, they've been hurt, and they think it's broken, and the marriage is as dead as a doorpost. I urge you, think of how we started. Arise, come my beloved. Come, you are beautiful to me. I have a plan for your life where you're not gonna be tight-lipped, you're not gonna be angry, you're not gonna be somebody who is battling with life. I have a plan to make you free. I have a plan for you to sing in the dark. And as you release yourself to the work of the Holy Spirit, and really know Jesus Christ for yourself, you will start to be able to live out this supernatural way in the marriage context. What I've done is once some years ago, it wasn't in a marriage context, but there was somebody who had really hurt me, and I had this sort of inside of me all the time, it was like a root in my life, and I thought, you know, this I'm not being the person God made me to be with this. And I put a chair in the room, and I imagined this figure of the person sitting on that chair, and I let them have it. I started saying things I would never dare have said to their face. But I just had to get it off my chest and said, you have let me, let me down, you've disappointed me, you have wronged me, you've betrayed me, you've lied, you've cheated on me, you've done all these things. And I was praying and saying, Lord, I'm bringing all of this mess to the foot of the cross. That's where it belongs. It's not for me to carry. This is what you died for, to take this. And I could picture all of that going, and I tell you, many boxes of tissues later, piles of tissues, and my voice was hoarse. I had just had to shout it out, but it was a turning point in my life. I left the room with puffy eyes, you know how it goes, but I was free and I could start to sing and say thank you and praise God for that person and that he would work in that person's life. Total forgiveness, and I've never looked back. You know where there are areas where maybe you are stumbling, falling, and I sense the Lord saying, don't limp into the next part of your life. If it's a marriage or it's another relationship, come with me and sense my love for you, working in you, but it's a love that brings freedom and release. It's not the consumer approach where I'm only in this because of what I can get out of it, it's what can I give. And I, I just urge you to think of God's perfect picture of love, that it is a precious gift, that it, there is commitment, and it is a lasting commitment. It's not easy. There will be pain, but there will be glory because this is the way that he works. And just as we go into this beautiful spring and we start seeing signs of new life, he is able to do the impossible because he is life. He instituted life. 
Would the band come up, please? Timothy also mentions in his book that we have this vertical and horizontal commitment, that it's before God and before each other. It's not about sex. It's not about status. It's not about self-actualization for me, but it's about the sacrificial giving of what I can do in that other person's life. Maybe you didn't realize when you got married that that's what you were committing to, but that's what it is. And through God's help, you will be able to fulfill that and see a beautiful new marriage emerging. Love is a decision that you can make, and often you think, I can't love this person because they are so unlovely. But often it's the unlovely who need love the most. And let's just think of when Jesus was on the cross. He was in agony. He'd been beaten and whipped. He was betrayed. He looked at the scraggly group there. They were cursing him. They were denying him. They were distant from him. People that he'd walked with all along ran away, deserted, betrayed. He never stopped loving. He never stopped giving. He never stopped forgiving. And he is in us who believe. He is the one who enables us to do this and live this life. And if you will make a decision that you've had enough of the old, dry, dead marriage and you really want to embrace all that he has, it's the strong theme, page after page. It's so important to him. Make a decision now to do that. Let's pray. Loving Father God, we thank you for your presence in this place, for your power here. And it is a power to quicken us into a newness of life and hope because you energize us not to look for escape routes that ultimately lead to death, but you energize us to look for life and newness through Jesus Christ. Come into our hearts. We make a decision now to open ourselves to you and to respond to that beautiful call for intimacy and fellowship. We will arise and come to you. We will believe that the winter is past and the time of singing has begun. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.